Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Destination Linux Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to discuss Google making its own silicon. Then we're going to head over to the camera corner where Wendy will discuss the Sony ZV-E10. There's that great naming again. So sit back, relax, and plug in because Hardware Addicts starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, a resident photographer extraordinaire, along with hardware enthusiast, and Michael, the software sage and hardware Padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, don't let us down. What have you been up to, man? I've got a couple of things to talk about. First of all, I got two things related to cameras, and... So I'm 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 learning a lot from you yeah, exactly. trying to suck up to camera. I'm, corner. I'm not that. No, I'm OK. I am learning a lot from the from Wendy in camera corner. So it's really helpful. But I also got bought these things that I don't know how effective they are, but we'll see because I haven't really tested them. Camera quick releases. These are the concept of being able to not have to un- unscrew the mounts to the camera every single time to just be able to like unlatch something and be able to move the camera to another tripod or whatever and the idea sounds great they're still in the box though but i will put i will actually set it up soon oh my gosh but what i did get i got something else and it's out of the box and i can talk about it because it's a camera mount for like a desk mount instead of having a webcam on the monitor the monitors can't hold the weight of the regular camera or like the the sony camera I previously got an Elgato multi-mount system with a flexi arm thing, and then I realized I hate it. I absolutely hate it. It's worthless. Don't get it. Why would you use a cat for a mount? Well, well, that's just the name of the company. I don't know why their name, <laughs> their company's called the Cat, but it is. You know, they're they're popular for other things that are decent, and I do have some of their stuff, and some of their stuff is good. Just that mount is not one of them. Wait, does Elgato mean cat or something? Yeah, it means the yes, cat. Yes, in Spanish. Oh, look at you all schooling me in Spanish, man. I was lost for a moment. I'm like, he said Elgato, <laughs> not cat, but he's going along with it. What's happening here? He did here? say cat. <laughs> Muy bueno. So you have two camera, or you've got a camera quick release and then a camera mount. You bought the Elgato, and as I remember you whining endlessly about this thing, <laughs> Like to make any changes to it, you had to unscrew fifteen different oh, yeah. joints. I hate it, and hate you it. you hated it so much that when I was looking for a similar solution to mount my camera up high, so when we're doing videos and and doing the live shows and things, the camera can be between the two monitors, so it mm-hmm. kind of needs to flex around. Right. Uh, I ordered a some off brand one, and it works perfectly. Yep. Is that the one you got? I did get that one. It was the Ulanzi one. And Ulanzi is yeah. not a, really an off-brand. They're, they've they okay. make camera mounts and stuff like that. They I actually have a like a phone mount for a tripod that I got from them a long time ago. That's like a full metal mount for your phone, which is very useful at times. So there are things that they, I've used for them. So when I saw it, it was yeah, I was totally fine with getting it. Ulanzi's mount is far superior, like in every way. Because the biggest problem with the multi-mount is that if you want to have it just sitting on top of the pole and that's all you need, well, then sure, it's fine. It's just whatever. But if you need to have any sort of flexibility, they have this little attachment thing that's called the flexi arm. 
and it's intended to be able to have any position you want. But every single joint is independent from the other pieces. So if you have to hold the weight of the camera as you tighten the things, otherwise you take it off. But you can't really take it off because you can't really position it without having the camera on the mount. So it's just really weird, awkward, annoying. And as soon as I got it set up, I realized, oh, no, it's not in the right spot. I have to move it. And I, it's so painful. I just refuse to move it. When I realized that was my reaction to it, I, I just had to get rid of it. When you asked about my experience with it, you decided to get something else. And then I and you and you had it for, I think, I don't know, a day and used and it set up took five minutes and that just sounded amazing. So I had to get it myself. I did. And it's awesome. It is so much easier to just loosen the screws and it still be on the mount. (gasps) Crazy idea. Wendy, what have you been up to? Because you have something that I've been waiting for in the mail and hasn't come, but you got yours first. It's not fair. I'm officially whining here. What did you get? I got my pine time. I am so excited. This is such a neat little watch. I haven't really got to wear it around a whole lot because since I originally got it, I've been so busy that I haven't really had a lot of time to play with it and finish getting it set up. Though I have to say that I think it's called Siglo, S-I-G-L-O, is the absolute best experience when it comes to updating your Pine Time. Mine came with version 1.2. 1.3 was already out for the software. And it found my watch super easy. Transferred the update. There was no fiddling, no fussing. Absolute best update process for any smartphone I've ever owned. I cannot wait to see what other software in time that'll be able to flash to this and the updates to the software that came to it. So Pine Time is a, what, $35 watch? I think it's... $35 with shipping. Yeah, it's like $24. And then if you go the cheaper shipping route, it's another $11. So you're $37 total for the watch. And this is a smart watch, and we've covered it on the show, but for those who haven't listened to it, it has basic heart monitoring. It's got some of your smartphone features like messaging and things like that. I think built in basically what can go over Bluetooth, I assume. And you're saying that you use Siglo as the software you install on your system to do updates to the software on the Pine Time? Yes, absolutely. There's two different ones that you can use basically from your Linux desktop. And the other one that I installed, I can't remember what it's called right now. I'll make sure that I get you a link to what the other one is. But I'd installed that one first and I was having all kinds of issues trying to get it set up. But before you could even do software updates or anything like that, it wanted you to set up a profile. And because I have a dark theme on my QT desktop, it wasn't playing very good with the cute or with the GTK application. And so I couldn't actually read the date across the map. And then it started you at like 1900. So you, and then you couldn't even click on it to type in the year and quickly get to the correct year. You had to click through the entire years to get to your birth year. And I'm definitely not born anywhere near 1900. So I gave up on that one. I downloaded and installed Siglo and I wanted to video capture the update process, but it happened so quickly that I didn't get that documented. 
because it was just too easy. Wow. That's, that's saying something there if it's that easy. So I can't wait to get updates on how much you love your pine time when you get some more work into it, especially since you do a lot of workouts and those type of things. So it'll be interesting what your experience is between it and other smartwatches that you've had that kind of focus more on the exercise thing. Yeah, I can't wait to put it through its paces and see how it works now and see how it grows over the next few years. Ryan, tell us about the Bahamas or the Honolulu or what was what was the thing you got? What are you talking about, man? Bahamas, Cancun, Havana. You wrote that in the show notes. Shame on you. All I put there was Aruba. And if you knew anything about hardware, you would know that I'm talking about Aruba. A Beach Boy song. On. Oh, my oh, no. Both okay. of you. So Sorry. Aruba is a Hewlett Packard Enterprise company, and you know that I've been on the bandwagon with HP because of their clean supply chain. You can buy their stuff and feel at least a little better about what you're purchasing. But the real issue is I had this Netgear Orbi mesh system. That's what I've been running my Wi-Fi on for years, and it's worked very well. But when I moved to this new house and I got gigabit, you could see with the Wi-Fi that it had inside of this particular Orbi was not Wi-Fi 6, so it wasn't capable of really giving me the speeds that I wanted. And I kind of wanted to go with a more professional networking solution. And when I was looking at the various options out there, including the new Orbi, they cost upwards of $999 for the Wi-Fi 6 versions. It's Ouch. very, very expensive. And I thought, well, at that price, if I'm going to spend that much money, I mean, I use a lot of internet, I work from home, then I'm going to get something that's more of an enterprise solution or small business solution. So I came across HP's Aruba Instant On. And my house is all wired for Ethernet. So they have a power over Ethernet switch, the 1930. It runs about $621 for the power over Ethernet version, which is the one I thought I was buying. But lo and behold, I found a really good deal on eBay where it was only like 300 bucks and thought I was getting a steal. But it was the one they sell without power over Ethernet. Oh, no. So they have access points you put all through your home, and all these access points are Wi-Fi 6 access points. And they are very, very powerful radios inside of these access points. So I needed about three of these access points, and I had the switch, so I ordered all three. I got my switch. I ran my Ethernet to my access points, and none of them were powering. Thankfully, I happened to have on hand, because I'm a hardware addict, a power over Ethernet switch. So I basically have the Aruba Instant on and a power over Ethernet switch connected to it that's connected to all my access points and powering them all so I could get the system up and running. Been absolutely amazing. So before, generally out of the Comcast that I have, I'm not getting the full thousand megabits per second. I usually get even directly connected to the router. I'll get somewhere around 800. And when I was using the Netgear Orbi system, I was usually getting around 150 to 190 of that on Wi-Fi. So that's why I had Ethernet run through most of the home. But I don't want to run. I don't want to use the Ethernet anymore. I want to do everything wirelessly. All of the issues my kids were having were randomly, you know, everything would be working fine in the home. And then randomly your phone would you just try to go to a certain website, 
playing a video game. We would just sit there like the internet gets stuck and freezes for a second. For no reason, it's taking forever to the point where you just turn Wi-Fi off on your phone. You go on cellular, the page loads right away. Then you reconnect to Wi-Fi and things are fine. That type of stuff that would happen periodically on the Orbi does not happen at all with this Aruba. Like the speed is just so consistent throughout the whole home and you can set up your own VPNs with clicks of a button. It's a really smart and awesome solution out there. Most of it runs through the cloud and you set it up through an app. However, you can do this locally as well and control it through Raspberry Pi. So there's a lot of options here and the expense of routers nowadays is extreme. And if you're going to pay the amount of money they want, you might as well get something that's meant for small business professional applications at, at the cost that these mesh networks are, are going for. So check out the Aruba Instant On if you get a chance. Yeah, that's pretty cool. This episode of Hard Radics is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new managed MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service, or DBoss. With managed MongoDB, you can focus more on building scalable, high-performance apps and less on maintaining the database. You simply offload your MongoDB administration to DigitalOcean and let them handle everything for you, like the provisioning, the managing, the scaling, the updates, the backups, and the security of your clusters. DigitalOcean built this service in partnership with MongoDB Inc., and together they have ensured that you will get access to all the latest releases of MongoDB document database as they become available. As a listener of the Hardware Addicts podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash DLN dash Mongo. Again, go to do.co slash DLN dash M-O-N-G-O to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new managed MongoDB service. And I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. So there was some exciting news this week in the phone realm. Let me ask you both, when you think about flagship phones in the market today, what comes to mind? What are some flagship phones you can think of? Definitely the latest in the Samsung line. They're everywhere. Yep. Uh, the, that Sony one we talked about a couple, couple episodes ago, I think, the, the Xperia 1.3 or 1iii or something like that. Yeah, the great named one. And then, of course, you have your Apple iPhone 12s out there. None of you would mention Apple. No, I see not. you. I see you. You all refuse. You get it. You get it. What you don't usually hear mentioned when you hear the term flagship anymore, at least, is the Google Pixel, especially with the Pixel 5, which was kind of a mid-range phone. And it's kind of odd, the Pixel 5, although some people celebrated it, some people liked it, some people didn't. But it's still kind of odd when you think about it that... The company that makes Android OS abandoned the kind of flagship staple when they released the Pixel 5. They don't have a flagship phone out there. To be fair, they started out with consumer-priced friendly devices. That's right. Yep. But they are the maker of Android OS, so they could have done that and had a flagship. I mean, it is Google. It's not like they're hurting for money, right? But all of this is about to change with the Pixel 6 that got announced. And there is limited information on the Pixel 6, but we're going to give you the full rundown on everything we know so far on this phone because it's really interesting. And the most interesting part, I think, out of this whole story is the fact that Google is launching its own silicon sock named Tensor for this phone. So can you think of another company that's kind of done this recently? (laughs) Hmm. Apple? Yeah. There, I said it. Are you happy? 
Yes, good job. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is really the first time we're seeing anyone break from Qualcomm stock in the Android market. I mean, even Samsung uses Qualcomm in the US. They have their own chip, but they don't use it here in the US. They use Qualcomm, but Google's like, nah, we're gonna make our own here. And it's not entirely brand new, I guess, from scratch that is because they're taking their Google AI and data center TPUs and basically shrinking them down and turning them mobile. So some of the things that Google has demoed with this new machine learning chip is its ability to do things, Wendy, you'll like this, like take multiple photos and combine them to remove blur from moving images. So basically the sensor has some of those AI capabilities going in, taking tons of pictures, taking a bunch of them, merging them together, even if there's motion blur or something else to create that perfect picture out there. And I believe Apple does that type of thing as well with their chips. So very similar kind of application. A lot of post-processing going on in the background. So the sensor isn't everything. Processing matters. There you go. Also in the video capture demo, they showed 4K 30 frames per second using the AI processor, which can translate audio from the video clips in real time in their voice piping demo that they've shown off. So this really That's has cool. some interesting capabilities. I mean, I could see us using that for some video production potentially, Michael. Yeah, that's pretty interesting, especially the the translation aspect of it. And it makes me wonder if like if they're able to do that, maybe they could do like automatic transcribing and stuff like that for, you know, having written versions. Like there's a lot of potential for this. Does this mean their actual assistant, is it Google Assistant, will be good finally? Probably not. No. Okay. I was just checking. I think at this point none of them are, so yeah, to be, I was going to say, to be fair, none of the assistants are any good. That's really not a knock on Google itself. because And they don't like it when you tell them that they're not very helpful. No, they don't. They kind of get a little sassy with you. They do. They're promising things like all-day battery life, but of course we'll have to get the phone to actually see if that's capable. And they're saying that the sensors and the camera is going to let in 150% more light than the Pixel 5 camera. As I understand it, the Pixels are well known to have decent cameras all the way around. They, they've kind of they used to kind of be the staple of the camera world, but even in their mid-range Pixel Five, it had a pretty decent camera in it. They weren't the worst by any means, but they weren't necessarily the best either. I guess. Right. Exactly. Them on the camera side, it really depended on the model. None of them were really great in low light, if I'm remembering reviews on these devices. But we'll see how this one is. If it's letting in that much more light, it says to me that either they're using a larger sensor than standard or they're possibly using a lens with a larger aperture on it, which normally on these, we're talking about really large apertures in general. So I'm really curious how they're quote unquote getting 150% more light over the previous generation of camera. It will be interesting when you see the phone itself, it has a giant black bar going across it for the cameras. You know how like the iPhones and things, they have that little square bump and they try to kind of minimize it as much as possible, even though it's distracting. Google was like, nah, we're just going to take the whole back section of the phone at the top and we're going to put a whole bar across it and we're going to stick all the camera stuff in there. It's going to poke out from the phone and just deal with it. And I think it looks good. I'm fine with that. I don't think phones need to be smaller. 
Yeah, I don't think they need to be small. And I, I don't like the protruding camera thing. Just it's okay if it's a slightly thicker phone. But also if they make it where the top has like a shape. I saw one phone. I forgot which one it was, but it had like the back kind of molded around the camera at the top. So it's thin towards the bottom, but where you're actually holding it, but where the cameras would be, it kind of wraps around it. And I think that's that's also fine. We don't have to like this whole trend of making as thin as possible. I think we're I think we're past that. See, I'm already using a phone where they let the camera stick out above the back of the camera back, which for the most part, I don't have a problem with that because you're able to get more hardware in that space to be able to make things better. Or in this case, I'm guessing letting more light in some of the problems with that bump on the back where your camera sits is then the lens of that camera is getting scratched, especially if you do not have a case on it. So for anybody who chooses to get this phone and you're wanting to keep that bumped out camera nice, I would definitely get a case for it. Most of your cases are probably going to be pretty thin, but then they'll extend that bump and give you some protection. So when you set your phone on its back, you're not completely destroying the lens on that camera. That's my biggest issue with this kind of design. At this point, is there is is there a phone that you can get that the case isn't required? Like, because I've I haven't had a phone in years where I wasn't comfortable without having a case. The last phone that I had without a case was my Motorola Droid X. That thing was made out of metal. So no, every phone has a case now. Well, that's yeah. not true. They they do make phones. They're not ones that consumers necessarily would want to go out and buy because they're not super fancy, but they, they do make phones. All carriers here in the U.S. have them that are made to withstand bashes, bangs, and drops and everything else without a case. It's pretty much they manufacture the phones with a built-in case. Kind of, They're very thick. They don't have the greatest screens. They generally don't have the greatest specs, but they're more for people who work construction quite a bit. Small Uh, businesses like to purchase them and things like that. You're generally not going to see it uh, posted real popular in the different carriers' websites. You'd probably have to call them and ask them, like, I want a phone, you know, really durable phone for a construction site, and they'll have some options there. But generally, the consumers don't like those phones. They don't have brilliant screens. They're not fun phones. But I agree with you. The idea of spending thousands of dollars for a phone and then having to put a case on top of it and buy a case immediately It's kind of annoying, but it's something we all kind of dealt with, which is why the whole thinness of a phone thing is equally annoying to me because nobody in their right mind, unless they have money to burn, carries their iPhone 12 around without a case on it. So you don't get to enjoy the thinness and the rounded corners or the square corners or anything else because you're just sticking a case right over top of it. My brother used his without a case. He had one with a cracked screen for quite a long time. (laughs) Well, there is another option there, I guess. Well, (laughs) the reason I was asking is because I looked at my phone and I I looked at it as like, is my does my phone have like one of those camera bump things? So I took the case off and it totally does have a camera bump. It's not as bad as the other ones because it's it's an older phone a little bit, but there's uh, but my case on it made it where it's doesn't matter. But I was thinking like at this point, there's always a case on every phone and it kind of sullies the quality of these devices. Like when I have the phone out of the case, it feels like I'm holding like a brick of magic. And then when I put it in the case, it's just like, oh, OK, it's a phone a brick of plastic. Yeah, it's like yeah. It's, it, it loses its appeal then. But it's also a requirement. So I always have it on the case. 
Yeah, here's the thing. Magneto's not even allowed to touch his new phones until I have a case and glass screen protector on them. Period. I like, like that. Can't yeah, touch you got to keep him away from those phones. He can completely destroy <laughs> them with a single touch Absolutely. in there. So we have Google following the trend that Apple made popular, but it's also worthy of noting that, like we mentioned earlier, Samsung has its own silicon as well as Huawei. So this isn't something like nobody else in the Android world has done, but this is the one that I think is kind of going to all the markets in a big way. In fact, on their investor call, they basically warned all their investors that they're about to spend a ton of money marketing this phone. So that was really interesting from a company that, you know, usually doesn't market its stuff very well. Maybe it'll do some ads on its own sites like YouTube and things, but they're basically prepping their investors from their CFO to say, hey, we're about to spend a ton of money pushing this device when we release it. So they have some big plans for this, which made me wonder, are they going to use Google Silicon here to end up in Chromebooks down the road, much like Apple's A14 kind of scaled up to an M1 that they put inside of the MacBook? So are they going to follow kind of exactly in Apple's footsteps here? with this. It makes sense if they are already building their own chips or having chips built purposely for them to put them in all of their other devices as well. I hope not because this whole having their own custom CPUs stuff just kind of makes things more locked down and harder to repair. So I don't I don't want them to do this, but I kind of expect it. Yes. You make an interesting point because when Apple had one device that you could still upgrade in their lineup up until they changed to their M1, that was their, what's their little mini desktop called? Mac mini. The Mac mini. Thank you. The Mac mini. See, you guys know Apple so well. That was a trick. Fooled you. All right. So the Mac (laughs) mini. Oh no. How could you do this to us? Yes. (laughs) The Mac mini, uh, you used to be able to actually get inside of it fairly easily and upgrade things like the RAM. Even when Apple was gluing and uh, riveting everything else that it had, you still could, with the Mac Mini, do an upgrade at least with the RAM there in that device. But when they went to their own silicon, they completely removed that capability. Everything's on one board. And, of course, this can create tons of e-waste. Unlike the framework laptop and stuff we were talking about, I do think they're going to go this route. But I agree with Michael. I'm not necessarily happy about it and i'm also not happy about it because i did video recently on a chromebook with very nice hardware that hp made and it's just the operating system doesn't really know what it wants to be Hmm. and i really think they should go with a full linux os full stop quit playing around with a little bit of android a little bit of a web browser a little bit of linux a little bit of this because it just doesn't flow nothing flows well on that chromebook so if they were to do something like that, I could imagine, you know, follow in the footsteps of Steam and Valve here with their Steam Deck. I'd imagine they'd have something a lot more interesting to consumers out of, you know, the education system and things that like Chromebooks. So we don't know the performance Google's going to get out of this Tensor yet, but they seem to realize that everyone is going to compare it against Apple's upcoming A15. So I think it would be pretty embarrassing if they release their own silicon and it's like really slow or it's not even as fast as the Qualcomm Snapdragons out there. When the running meme is, why didn't they stick with Qualcomm? Yeah. is Do you think that if they come out with something that's just maybe as fast as the fastest Snapdragon, is that going to hurt them in the long run? I feel like it would. 
if it's as fast as the latest Snapdragon, I think they'll be okay. But if it's slower, they are gonna run into some serious issues. Cause if at least they're on the same level of competition, it's like, okay, this is their starting point and they can get better. But if they're lower than that, like I said, the running meme will be, they should have just stuck with Qualcomm and put out the rest of this hardware like it is. I agree. I don't think that, that Google's necessary. Like I don't like Google really. Because they do a lot of stuff that I'm not a fan of. But I do think that they understand at least when they're going to put out a product and we're going to put out, they're going to put effort into marketing that they're going to make sure that the thing that they're pushing has, you know, value to be pushed. So I don't think they're at least going to be as comparable to uh, existing Android stuff from Qualcomm and Snapdragon stuff. But whether it's going to be competing with Apple's, uh, who knows? But I, I think that it's it's an interesting topic to discuss because that's really where Google can fall on its face with this because they're kind of putting all their eggs in this one basket with their their custom you know CPU if they're going to go all in to do that then if it does fail it's going to be a massive hit on the Android brand just in general because people will then start be like well why don't you just get an Apple then Right. Yeah, they could try to compete here on the cost thing. They could be like, well, yeah, it's not as fast as the A14 or the A15, but it's much cheaper. Our phone's cheaper and all of that. But you got to remember, Google's coming out here now with the specs that we already know and people who've already held these phones in their hands saying this is their flagship. They're going flagship. I don't think Google can afford to not come out with some silicon here that is way faster than the A15, or at least as fast as the A15. If they come in slower, I think it's going to look bad on them. I think they're going to look silly. Pixels have typically been known as part of the Tinkerer device. So they've been good devices for Google to get out and make some money off of. Nexus, Pixel, this is the next generation in that Pixel line. And all of them have been really easy to unlock the bootloader and change the software on it. I'm wondering with this custom chip designed by them is that still going to be the case that's a really good question wendy are you still going to be able because that is one of the things i love about the google pixel lineup is number one you didn't get a bunch of junk pre-installed apps you didn't get facebook that you couldn't delete off your phone and things that annoys the sin that out of means me you in also the don't get world. candy crush i mean you're just that just crushes my dreams that's Nobody right you don't get angry crush. birds <laughs> Candy Crush, Instagram, Facebook. You don't get all that junk pre-installed. So I loved Google for that. I love the fact that the bootloader was so easy to uninstall. I mean, I, I really liked the Pixel lineup. I thought they've done a pretty decent job with it, but they're going flagship here. You're in a whole new battle arena, I feel like. So let's look at the specs for the Pixel 6. You got, because there's going to be a Pixel 6 and a Pixel 6 Pro. So with the 6, you get a 6.4-inch screen, wide and ultra-wide cameras. We don't know the real specs of those yet. 90 hertz refresh of the screen, an in-screen fingerprint reader, hole-punch selfie camera, and near-zero bezel when you look at this. And, of course, your big camera block on the back. Now, with the Pro, you get something a little different. You get 6.7 inches. You get the same wide and ultra-wide, which the rumor is somewhere around 50 megapixel. But plus, you get a 4 times optical zoom on that. And I hear that's pretty good, Wendy, for phone. It depends on how sharp it is once you're zoomed in. Because, oh, yeah, my husband can zoom way in with his current phone, but it's a pixelated mess. So I don't really care how much the zoom is as long as the picture is still crisp. 
So I'm curious how that actually looks. And then here, they're potentially playing the megapixel game again. Oh my gosh, this is so awesome. We have a 50 megapixel camera. But we also need to keep in mind that this is a smaller sensor in general. It's going on the back of a camera and you're now increasing the number of megapixels, which means you're making those buckets that light has to fill so much smaller where you're potentially going to have issues with parts of the image being way too dark or way too bright because those buckets are being underfilled or way overfilled. We'll just see. We'll see. Wendy dropping those knowledge bombs on everybody there with the camera stuff. I love it. Although I feel like Google's going to have to really perform in this camera market because I feel like they could have gone a completely different direction here and done something like what Frameworks is doing with laptops. Make a modular version of their phone and you don't necessarily have to compete on specs. But since they're going the traditional, really nothing innovative out here route where they're just using their own silicon, which I, I guess you could say is innovative. But outside of that, it's just screen size, refresh rate, big camera, really a bunch of megapixels. There's nothing super exciting in that that we haven't seen a million times before in covering phones that they're going to have to make sure they deliver on all of these aspects because everything they release here, whether they want to or not, is going to be compared against the new iPhone 13s that are going to come out probably sometime around the holiday season. Because we know Apple releases on a pretty standard schedule. So somewhere around maybe September, October timeframe, you're going to get a new Apple. And this is what they're going to compare this against. And by the way, this phone is being released around September, October, and November. So they're going to be head to head. They're going to be coming out right around this exact same time. And I feel like this giant camera block on the back better deliver or Google's going to really have the reputation injured here. Well, in order for them to deliver on some of the other promises that they've talked about with removing motion blur and that kind of thing, they have to have the processing power. None of that's happening directly on your sensor in your lens. That's all happening on the background. And if that's slow or if that doesn't look clean, because we've all used those camera apps where you can blur the background or do other changes to it. And you can see these really ugly rough lines and other artifacts that are in it. So it really depends on how fast that processing runs and how cleanly it runs between those images that it groups together and then processes to give your final image. Yep. I do like the near zero bezel, but I wasn't a fan of the fact that they put glass on the back again. So I expect this thing will not be repairable. Glass on the back is dangerous. Just ask my husband when a spark from welding hits the back of your phone that's covered in glass. Wow. Wow, Magneto. Can you calm down with the phones? We just need him to, <laughs> they need to pay him to test. That's all they need they to do. They do. Yes. All right. So we also have Android 12 that's announced. And Michael, you're the software sage here. So let's talk about Android 12 for just a moment. Even though this isn't quite hardware, it comes with, this is going to be one of the first phones with Android 12. So I feel like we should mention it at least in passing. You're not getting a candy name here, which uh -oh. I was upset about. I, that's I'm, really disappointing. I know. Yeah. Code names are very important. These I Actually, I stopped paying attention to what their code names were after like, I think, not, the one after Kit Kat, whichever one that was. I don't remember. Yeah, I was wanting like a Baby Ruth or a Butterfinger. Did we ever get Butterfinger? I don't think we got Butterfinger. No, there we was didn't so get Butterfinger. Options. After Kit Kat was Jelly Bean. Yeah. 
They just, I, th- I feel like they need to give me my candy back here. If I'm going to get excited <laughs> about Android 12, I need my candy name back. So I'm, I'm talking to you directly here, Google. Put the candy name back. Maybe they dropped be it okay. because they're in cahoots with the dentist associations. Oh, yeah. I doubt yeah. it. Well, it wasn't always candy. It was usually sweet treats because E was a clear and F was Froyo, frozen yogurt. Yeah, H they had cupcake and stuff. Yeah. It was just sweet stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so they need to bring that back. You know, everybody's been talking about how boring iOS has become and how boring Android has become. We've talked about it multiple times on the on this show. In fact, uh, there are some interesting things here, though, that got my ears to perk up a little bit. It's going to be smoother and faster and streamlined, twenty percent faster, less jitter and stutter, blah blah blah. So that's not super exciting, but they cool. say that every time. Exactly. New and redesigned widgets. The widget system looks really neat. Like they're really putting some focus and attention on making the widgets purposeful inside the phone itself. That's interesting. I haven't ever used the widgets. Like I know that the phones have had widgets for ever. I don't know, but I just I don't get the the appeal for them. Like I, I use them in the beginning for a little while, and then no, never mind. Just give me access to my apps, and I'm good. That's exactly what I do. I start putting a widget on my phone and then it takes up valuable space where I need apps instead. So they just go away because they're not as useful as I think they like to think they are. But this looked like they were really doing a nice redesign of them to where these widgets might actually be useful. But again, not something that's going to make me super excited about a phone. The one thing that really caught my attention, Android 12 is finally making improvements to privacy including giving you the option to turn off system access to the cameras and microphones. That I love if it's actually true and it's not a, we're turning this off on the surface level, but it's still running in the background. Right, because Google kind of got caught. I don't know if it was ever fully confirmed, but they got caught with the location services, as I recall, right? Where they you turned them off, but it was really still running. It was still pinging, yeah, from the towers and stuff. So, yeah, this is the problem Google has painted themselves in, that they're not super trustworthy. And for everyone to be clear, there are some Google services I love. I think YouTube is one of the most amazing platforms to ever exist. I'm not talking about the privacy standpoint. I'm talking about the platform itself. Like yeah. they can make some amazing stuff. Yeah. I mean, they do have some good stuff. I mean, Gmail was a revolution, you know, 15 years ago when they first re- announced it and everything. And I remember the time where we had to get invites and it was super cool to get a Google yeah. uh, email account and stuff. And like, there are things that they have done over the, over the years that have been of value and have been great. And privacy, not one of those things. And I'm really happy to see that they're putting some effort into it. I assume that it's just because Apple's been putting so much marketing to it that it's in people's like peer view now. But it's glad I'm glad to see that Google is doing something about it. That's the problem. It's not. It doesn't feel genuine. A lot of this stuff seems to be copies of what iOS has done. And of course, there's big news out there with iOS doing some things that could really, really impact their so-called privacy that they state that they have. So none of these companies really, in my opinion, have a great reputation when it comes to privacy here. And it's really sad. But Google has especially shot themselves in the foot in this arena. I mean, there's entire Reddit forums dedicated to de-Googlifying your life and people generally want to get away from it. And you're right. Back in the day, everybody wanted Google everything. 
So they've really hurt themselves with this nonsense. But the indicators for camera and microphone is like iOS has. So if an app is using your camera and microphone, it's going to put a little indicator on saying that, you know, an app is accessing it, which is nice. It has much more easier control to the access systems for like your privacy dashboard. You have location, camera, mic with timeline of every app that's accessed the sensors in there and when it accessed those sensors. So you're going to have a lot more finite control over what's happening with the applications that you install on your phone. And the apps are going to ask for your location for the when the first time that you launch it. And you can choose things. Again, this is available in iOS, but you can choose approximate or exact location. So you, if it's a Maps app, you don't want to use approximate because you're going to be approximate to arriving at your destination. You I might want to use know the approximately exact where I parked my car. Thank you very much. Yeah, approximately. Uh, however, if it's an app where maybe it's a shopping app and they you don't need they don't need to know your exact address to find the closest Home Depot to you, you could use approximate there, and it's going to get you to you know a close by. Home Depot. I anyway, do like so that as a feature in general because uh, yeah. there's a lot of times where you go to an app on the phone and, or go just go to a website on the phone. And it says, "Do you want to give us your location?" No, no, I never want to do that. But in this case, you know, if they if I could say, "Here's a zip code or something that's you know a, s- a significant size area that's not really exactly where I am," I'm still probably not going to do it for a website anyway. But you know, it's nice to have that as an option. Yeah. And they have new theming improvements, which they're really focusing on. So they're doing a lot of customization, focus on the customization. And I think that's something unique to Android that you can't really do on iOS. So I like that they are focusing on something that kind of is unique to Android. Quick settings with huge toggles now. So instead of these little tiny toggles you're pressing on and accidentally press your you know, flashlight when you mean to turn off Wi-Fi or whatever, they're much bigger, more pronounced and then a whole new look with Material U. And this is kind of their focus on being able to personalize. See, it used to be just Material, but now it's Material U because it's all about personalization. <laughs> See what they did. <laughs> mm, okay, yeah. sure. Yeah. It sounds like a Michael joke. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does sound like a joke <laughs> that I would, I would give. I mean, I mean, I'm actually kind of disappointed that the, the Pixel 6 is called the Pixel 6 and not the Sixel. So, oh wow. Gosh. That that was a reach. That was a reach. I would buy it if it was called the Sixel. Exactly. But, you know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is what you get. You get the Pixel 6, the specs that we talked about that we know of so far. More is going to come out. Hopefully, the silicon impresses everybody out there. I think they could have done something to really differentiate themselves by talking about repairability and having a phone you can replace the battery in and things again. They didn't go that route. Instead, they're just going head-to-head with the Samsungs and the Apples out there for a flagship device. So I have to ask, paired with Android 12, does this phone interest any of you? Maybe. I'm only interested if the bootloader is unlockable. If it's not, then I don't care. Uh, for me, no, I, I still don't care. They actually have to, they have to put something more than, like they have to genuinely care about privacy, not just do a little bit of posturing or, they have to do something that's not the same thing over and over for the past 15 years or whatever. Like if they were to do that, I'd be interested. But at this point, it's just it's another phone and my phone is fine. Like it's not amazing, but it's still very good and it works just fine. And I already paid for it. So I'm good. Yeah. 
kind of fall in the same line. This doesn't excite me. I I am actually excited and have my eyes on and constantly hovering my finger over pre-ordering the Sony Xperia 1 3 mm. because I just really like what they're doing with that phone overall. It doesn't have everything I want, but from a phone standpoint, I like where Sony's going. I like some of their involvement that they have in the open bootloader, and oh, yeah. they're just trying to do some different things. Yeah, I like Sony's approach, and I'd be way more interested in getting a Sony phone or maybe one of those massive ROG phones from Asus. Yeah. Like, that kind of thing, that's interesting. They're actually doing something. Or with Sony, where they're actually doing the open bootloader, or they're doing the customization with, like, integrating it with your, your camera and stuff like that. Those are interesting things to do that are fun and have something more than just, well, we made the theme a little bit customizable or whatever. So yep. those I'm, actually, I'm very interested in. But at the same time, uh, I think that it's 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 going to be we're going to wait and see as terms of like how well the Pixel 6 performs. I mean, the Sixel performs. And if it is like a flagship, I would be very curious to see how the, the market reacts to it, because, you know, Google hasn't had a flagship for a very long time and they didn't have it with the Nexus devices. And I, I don't I don't know if Google is in a position that it makes sense for them to do a flagship. So I am curious what happens there. Yep. So all these YouTubers have already got their hands on a demo behind the scenes. Of course, none of them asked about the supply chain. None of them asked about repairability. None of the things that, that, that everybody's just playing the fanboy that Google's releasing this and everybody's excited. But to me, it wasn't really exciting. Any guess on the pricing? This will be kind of a prediction that I'll come back and if you're wrong, I don't know, you have to sing I'm a little teapot on the show. Gladly. <laughs> Gladly. Yes. What is your prediction for what this phone's going to cost? So we could keep it a broad range. Like, you think it's going to be over 1000 or just under or $500 or what's your Are guess we doing price is right rules? Because I want to say a dollar if so, because that way no, I could, No, oh. price no, right price is okay. right rules do not count here. Okay, dang. On the base model, I'm guessing we're... Probably in the eight hundred dollar range, and on the pro, you're probably looking thousand dollar range. Would be my guesses. That that I, I that sounds like a good bet, and I would go with since they're doing the flagship. I think that the I think that they're going to try to push it too far. I think they're going to do a nine hundred by like by the base, and like a twelve or thirteen hundred for the expensive one. Whoa. I think that, that would bury them, I feel like. But that's interesting if they end up doing that. I'm gonna go with the six to seven hundred for the six and the just under a thousand for the pro. Nine ninety-five, something like that. I also wanna just put it out there one dollar. We we heard you, Michael. It's not the price is right. <laughs> oh, stop okay. stop pretending you made the show. You didn't. They Sorry. You don't you win that trip up. or that car. Come on down. Sorry. Yeah. They, <laughs> They saw you in the audience once and you were banned for life. Do we need to tell everybody about that? Just because yeah. they called someone else's number and I went down every time does not mean you could ban me, okay? <laughs> God, it's rude. This episode of Hardware Addicts is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager as well as authentication such as master password adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. 
Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is the password manager that I use and trust because it is open source. You can self-host it, their security audits, and have you checked out Bitwarden Send yet? I absolutely love this feature. You can set a deletion date, an expiration date, the maximum of times that that file can be accessed or even add a password to it. If you haven't checked it out, go check out Bitwarden Send. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. Say you want that premium account that starts at just $10 per year. You get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage, and Generation, plus priority customer support. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, though, you're going to want to show your support to this awesome open source project and sign up for that premium edition, especially since it starts at only $10 per year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. All right, Wendy, take us into the camera corner and tell us about this amazingly named Sony ZV-E10. Okay, so the name isn't so great, but when I saw this camera come across in my news, I absolutely had to share it. This camera is not only going to be great for taking pictures, but Sony has listened to the community. They know so many people are using their cameras for streaming video as for YouTubers and bloggers and vloggers and all kinds of fun stuff. They know their cameras are being used inside of this realm of things. They are using the standard E-mount lens. So if you are ha- if you already have a mirrorless camera body from Sony, most of them will have this E-mount lens. So if you already have lenses from the camera, they will fit on this body. And I love it when camera manufacturers do that, when they keep a camera mount for many generations of a camera. So you can change within that ecosystem of your camera body and keep those lenses that you've invested in. It will do 4K movies up to 6K with full pixel readout. So what does that mean? Most of the times when you are going from, say, these old style cameras that would go 1080p and then you could get 4K, it's actually shrinking down how much of that sensor that it's using in order to do that upgraded readout. No, this will do 6K using the entire sensor size three inch flip out screen that can go in just about every angle. And this is one of those features that's awesome for if you're using it for vlogging or podcasting stuff like that. You can actually see you from the camera and where it's pointing. It has a background defocus button, which I think is kind of cool. So you don't have to know what all of those sensors and functions do because you can set that up on the camera yourself by choosing what your aperture is and getting all of those manual settings figured out. But this basically says, okay, camera, you're taking a picture of me. I'm in focus now, but so is the background. I want you to change the aperture so the background's out of focus and it'll do that automatically for people. The only thing that I don't like about my Sony camera is the fact that the flip up camera, the flip up monitor is directly in the way of the hot shoe mount. So you have right. to get like an adapter for the, the cold shoe adapter to be able to mount anything on it because otherwise you're just blocking the monitor. So the fact that they made it so that this doesn't have that problem 
is something I know a lot of people who are Sony fanatics. It's like that's the biggest thing that they had an issue with. So the fact that they mm-hmm. took into consideration to do that sort of stuff now and that it's a flip out and it doesn't interact, it doesn't interfere with anything. Like this is this looks like a an interesting product and it also makes me have a little bit of techno lust right now. Oh yes. No, here's the part that'll make you both like just absolutely drool. You don't need an interface between your camera and your computer with this device. It is plug and play as a way. Take my money. Sold. Take my money. Sold. I think we need to do a comparison on hardware addicts to like what the the one I have was also the one that Ryan has and we need to make sure that this is the the camera that people might want. I think that's the justification of getting it. I think Sony needs to send us all one of these cameras because they actually price them super nicely as yeah, well. It's a reasonable the price. new one is 700 bucks, which I know is a lot of money, but honestly when you get into creating your own video content and things like that, that's about the price that these cameras will cost, especially if you can do video on them and I mean long video for hours and hours on end, which is what it takes to do video production a lot of times and so that price is very reasonable for what they're the target audience that they have and i feel like sony's just kind of becoming the cool kid in tech again finally like they're starting to retake the coolness factor we talked about wanting their phone now we're looking at their new cameras which we already were in love with they got something going here maybe they got some cool kids that look like me and michael sitting in there maybe you too wendy (laughs) sitting in there designing their products now (laughs) I definitely think that they are paying attention to the feedback that they're getting from people that are using their cameras. They're getting feedback from people that are saying, hey, I'm using this for podcasting. I'm using this for vlogging and these different things. And these are the features that we're missing. Here's what makes them so much different than everybody else. The other companies hear that feedback and then ignore it. Or get offended by it. (laughs) Right. They're actually taking that information into account and then giving you awesome products like this that are really well-priced, especially for all of the features that they have built right into them. Also, it looks like you can get different color options, like not a normal there, camera. Yeah, there's two different color oh, options. On, you Michael. can get a black one or a white one. Really, Michael? That's what yes. you go no, to? No, I just thought that was kind of interesting <laughs> because it's like I've oh never seen gosh. a camera at this level have any other color than black. And it... And it it's just kind of weird that I saw that it has, they have a white version. I, I don't know why I knew I would want that, but it's interesting that they have that. Sort yeah, of Michael wants the digital camo pink, clearly, which would be uh, amazing, uh, by the way. Yes, I, I do want that now. <laughs> yes, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. The hot shoe on this one has a really cool adapter, and I think you can get it for some of their other cameras, but you can get an additional microphone that attaches directly to the hot shoe and is feeding that information directly into the camera itself it's a really interesting way to do that plus add one more level of high quality audio especially if you're in a situation where you can't have a mic directly in front of your face because you're showing what's going on around you or some of those other things this is built for not just taking some great pictures but getting some fantastic video quality and michael listen to this Users can transfer files from an SD card in the camera to a smartphone, your new Sony Xperia 1 III, mm. via Bluetooth, even drop. if the camera is powered off. That's pretty what? That's pretty awesome. What? Yeah. What? Magic. They use magic. It does. It, that's, that's what it has to be. Just magic. I'm loving what Sony is putting down here. This is very cool. This would be something I definitely want to get 
for Christmas from Michael. So thank you, Michael, ahead of time for ordering that. I, for me. You're welcome, and I expect the exact same in return. <laughs> it's a weird <laughs> gift giving. It's like, oh, you thought of the exact the perfect thing. Great. You know, the whole point of getting gifts and exchanging gifts is that the other person spends more money than you spend, so that you made out in the end. And I, this, no, this I'm, is just I'm, an exchange of cash. I don't like that rule. I'm super cheap. So if if there's ever a, a, a battle in that, I, I so guarantee... So you'd always lose, Ryan. That's what he's saying. Yeah. No, yeah. no, he'll win. If he, wants to, if he wants to spend the most, that's... Yeah, he's going to win that battle. <laughs> I'm going to be like, okay, Michael, I agree. And I'll get a printout of what the Sony ZV-E10 looks like and he would get the actual camera. That's what would happen. Yeah, but then yes. it'll never get out of the box. So, you know. That's true. Well, that's it. Our 42nd episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all of the amazing content. And it is amazing. Go to destinationlinux.network. Destinationlinux.network. Head there. Check out all the amazing podcasts that we have and YouTube partners that do all kinds of amazing video content. There's so much there to fill your brains with. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next time for another pixel-perfect episode of Hardware Addicts. Nice. Man, I should make that the title. Pixel Perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>